Unlocking the Cage is recorded live on Twitch Sunday nights at 5 p.m. Pacific at Manager's Comedy. Tune in to chat and share your opinions and help us unlock the cage. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Whether he's removing his face or on a criminal plane or a historical chase, we love Nicholas Cage. Star of screen and stage, gonna watch him all day while he's a screaming with rage, cause we're unlocking the cage. Hello and welcome to another episode of Unlocking the Cage. We are a podcast dedicated to watching and ranking every single one of Nicolas Cage's 100 plus movies. I am your host, Meg. I'm here with Chris Madden. How you doing? What's going on? Oh, you know, you know, because we've spent the last, <laughs> the last 24 hours plus 52 together. weeks. <laughs> uh, we went on a hike today. It was that lovely. was something that was nice. We were day uh, drinking. Little day drinking. We hung out in a hammock uh, at the park. So that was pretty chill. Uh, this is a rare glimpse into our personal life that people don't really get on this this podcast. So I feel like most people listening to this podcast already know us in person and know our uh, personal yeah. life pretty well. It's, it's just the guest usually is listening and then us. And that's yeah, it. Yeah, rare glimpse <laughs> into our personal life. We went on a hike today <laughs> and it was fucking hot. All right. We're here to talk about Nicolas Cage. Um, if you're listening to this podcast form, uh, know that we record it live on Twitch every Sunday, 5 p.m. Pacific at twitch.tv slash managers comedy. If you want to watch an old episode on YouTube, because we do have visuals and uh, we actually record this naked. Yeah. So you're missing out. Missing out. Not really missing yeah. out, though. Cause... Not really missing out. No. Um, and they can be found on youtube.com slash managers comedy. Uh, today's movie is Adaptation from 2002. We will be spoiling the movie. Um, if you haven't seen it, this is one that you probably should watch as opposed to a, one of those where it's like, we watched it so you don't have to. Um, but we're not doing it alone. We have a guest. Yes, we do. Today. And he is uh, actor, writer, producer, guitar teacher, and MTV reality star, Danny Prakaski. Hey, Danny. There he is. Hello. Hello, everybody. Isn't that theme song awesome? I was just re-appreciating re it a bit today. Well, oh, so good. I was dancing around. Yeah, it's a great theme song by a very talented person. And also, I recently checked this, our most listened to episode, which was uh, uh, Will Janetta guested and we did National Treasure. So, yes. Oh, hell yeah. Maybe yeah, that makes sense that people would tune in for that one. People might seek out like, man, I really wish I could listen to people talk about National Treasure for a little <laughs> while today. And so they go and download. What's crazy is we don't actually have National Treasure scheduled too. So if you are a listener and you want to be on our show, yeah. National Treasure 2 is up for grabs. The President's Book of Secrets. I hear it's got a pretty good freak out in it. I've, I've seen a clip. There's like a real, real bizarro freak out and uh, very contrary to the first National Treasure. <laughs> I've only seen the first one. Right. Because I was about to say he's a lot more tame in the first one, isn't he? Super chill. Yeah. Yeah. He's like uh, a real subdued cage. This one. Yeah. But we should um, talk about this cage. movie, though. We should talk about adaptation. Adaptation. All right, guys. As you know, this movie is from 2002. This is uh, early Spike Jones movie. Um, I think the second movie by Charlie Kaufman, the writer, uh, made for 19 million, made 32 million box office. So a success, obviously a huge critical success. Everybody loves this movie. Um, and today we're going to figure out where it ranks. Is it better than our top two movies, Moonstruck and Mandy? 
We'll find out. Anyway, I haven't so. seen either of those, but this is definitely my number one Nick Cage movie. He's going to skew there's... the polls. Yeah, so that's a good. I was going to ask you this, Danny. So, what's your Nick Cage experience? How many? About how many movies have you seen? Uh, what's your uh, history so, here? I have I have kind of like a specific and personal history with this movie in particular. Mm-hmm. In high school, I was really into English, and I took six different semester-long English classes my senior year. Um, and one of my teachers who taught like a screenwriting class and a class on adapting uh, books into movies, his favorite actor in the world was Nicolas Cage. And I was like, isn't he the notoriously crazy, weird, bad actor who does every movie that comes his way? Like, I think it wasn't far from that time that that college humor video where you're Nick Cage's agent and you're yelling at him. Have you guys seen this video? No. What? I would like to now. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. It is. It's an excellent sketch. Have you seen it, Chris? No. I think right. it was on College Humor. It was either College Humor or Funny or Die. A but it's research. a sketch about this guy being Nicolas Cage's agent. And it's just him endlessly frustrated with Nicolas Cage not turning down any offer that comes his way. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I so don't you were. I want to give it away, but it's very funny. Okay, so you were, so you were in high school English and your teacher's favorite. High school actor. English. Teacher's favorite actor was Nicolas Cage. And I was like, he's bad. Jeremy Lum, my teacher, said, no, he's not bad. He's very good. But he cannot refuse a role because he is in immense amounts of debt. So anytime he can work, he has to. And so he does a lot of trash movies because they will pay him to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, And he would list movies like Leaving Las Vegas as being good examples of, wow, he's an excellent, talented actor who has to do a lot of crappy movies. And so eventually I would watch Leaving Las Vegas. But I think in Jeremy's class, we watched this film adaptation because we were learning about adapting books into movies. We read for his screenwriting class, Robert McKee's story, which is an excellent book. Um, and then this movie is just like an absolute love letter to writing movies. And I, I want to say Robert McKee and Robert McKee does not like this movie. And it's like, why are you nuts? Like he, he, he's in love with you. Like it, it's such a flattering movie for Robert McKee, but he just sees it as like, yeah, you know, like movies have to have an antagonist. So he picked me to be the antagonist. It's like, no, 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 like, not at all. He, he yeah. so he out caricatures i first off i didn't realize that was a real person but the person in real life is out caricaturing the character from the movie in that he is so hardcore about those views that he's like oh no it's not a good movie because there wasn't a real antagonist there wasn't a real protagonist it's like that's so funny yeah yeah it's it sounds like he really is an asshole every i i from what i can tell every person in this movie is based on a real person like the ron livingston agent is a real uh is a real oh, really? person ron livingston is the guy from office Bay? yeah Who apparently yeah, fucked yeah. a lot of people in the ass quote unquote <laughs> <laughs> that was so funny. uh we have a See comment here? from the chat brendan our screenwriter friend says that bob mckee is a nutcase <laughs> hey oh, brendan I, mean... I believe it i believe it <laughs> so that that's some uh that's some other context for that um so danny i don't think you answered the question though uh how many nick cage movies have you seen what's your uh background there i'm gonna say i've seen maybe up to 10 okay 
I've seen Into the Spider-Verse. I've seen Leaving Las Vegas, Raising Arizona, Adaptation, National Treasure. I feel like there are probably other movies that I have seen that have Nicolas Cage in them. What about but the big not three? that are like standing out that I could list. The big three. Face, uh, face Off, Con Air, uh, and uh, The Rock. The Rock. I've seen The Rock. Okay. Not either of the other two. Oh, Danny, we're doing uh, Con Air in a couple weeks. I highly suggest watching it in advance and watching that episode because Con Air is a wild fucking movie. Con Air is like, a good one. I really like this song by the Andrew Jackson Jihad where they talk about <laughs> flicking a cigarette onto a bunch of gasoline like the movie Con Air. They say in the lyrics, like the movie Con Air. Um, <laughs> and I haven't seen the movie. I was like, I guess they flick a cigarette. See, now, when I think of flicking a cigarette onto a lot of gasoline, I think of Die Hard 2 where he like yippee Kaye is the, the, the fuel trail from the plane. You know what I'm talking about? And he goes, yippee Kaye flips the cigarette and it goes under the fuel trail of the plane. And the plane goes in the sky and explodes. I don't even remember that in Con Air. Nice. Anyway. There's yeah, a lot I don't of explosions know. in Con Air, though. Uh, uh, there, so I would not be surprised. All right. Let's get back to our movie. Um, we... God, uh, I, I can't wait to do Con Air. I'm sorry. I just started thinking of the pile drive. Really oh, fun. it's so good. Anyway. April 18th. April 18th, guys. Put on your calendars. Guest Eric Andrew Barlow. It'll be really fun. Okay. Who farted? <laughs> hey, who's who's thinking it up in here? Uh, we got we got two soundboards today, and we've given Danny access to them. Probably, probably, although I would say Chris has been the one abusing it the most. So yeah, far. that was actually a really good reminder fart because as soon as I heard that, I was like, oh, yeah, I can do things like I had a boner with a capital O. Nice. <laughs> I mean, we also have access to music. Anyway, oh, just saying. <laughs> so this movie. Yeah. All right. Everyone's seen this movie before today. Um, I, let's let's go around and tell our little history of it. Danny, so you saw it for the first time in high school. Mm-hmm. Loved I think it I've seen it. Okay. Yeah, I loved it. I loved it in high school because like. I knew who Robert McKee was as a character. I already knew a little bit about Charlie Kaufman because I really liked Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I had seen Being John Malkovich yet, which Being John Malkovich appears in this movie. I know, which um, is wild. I know, but Charlie Kaufman, interesting, uh, very unique uh, original storyteller. Um, talking about Bob McKee, all of that, really cool. And I just like, I don't know, I wanted to be a writer and like uh, a a unique and like important writer so bad in high school. (laughs) So to see a story about somebody trying to tell a unique and important, innovative and original story was very enticing for me. And might I say. And I'll be damned if I didn't get really turned on. He's already better at it than us. We, we really, we really struggle with the soundboard. This, the quotes are the quotes are not easy ones to work. Um, all right. So, Chris, you'd seen it before. Um, I we, saw it. I saw it. Well, let me tell you this: the time yes. I've seen it was with you. It That's was the, that the was movie. the first time you saw it. First time I saw it, it was the movie that kicked off this whole podcast. Yeah. It was we, like, we, well, we've seen three in a row or something. Like, we might as well start. You know. And that was the first time you had seen it. Yeah. And, and I had seen it um, like maybe when it came out. Well, I'd seen it a long time ago, probably in college or something. Um, but uh, yeah, no. And that's part of the reason that we postponed Danny's episode, despite him being there like 
from the beginning, like I want adaptation. We were like, uh, we just watched it. Were you I've been waiting wait? so long He's to been do this so show. patiently. He's been waiting since March of 2019. Before, before, before <laughs> I've the, been, that's not true. I, I, I believed it for a second, though. I was like, have I? Time just goes so yeah. fast. What year is it right now? Holy fucking yeah. shit. All right. So, uh, and I just in general, just uh, overall, I'm curious, guys, how, how would you say that your viewing of it this time compares to your viewing mirror? Did anything change for you this this viewing of it? Well, I know for me, I had noticed things this time that I, I didn't pick up on and all the themes, I'm not really quick on the uptake and the themes were much more poignant. And like, there were these lines that just encapsulate all the themes that he's peppers through the whole movie. And I'm like, oh. Oh, shit. Yeah, so that was Wait, me. the the flowers are women. Oh. <laughs> I was I had a moment like that. Yeah, I got a lot more of Susan Orlean's story this mm -hmm. time. Whereas like before when I saw it as a as a younger person, I just didn't <laughs> I think I just didn't know how to like experience women's stories in media because like they don't they don't get the the spotlight as much as men's stories do and of course mm -hmm. then I was a man. Um but and and so I, I sort of thought like, oh, yeah, Susan Orlean's story is just like him struggling the entire time. But no, if you follow that uh, arc through the movie, uh, the movies, I mean, we haven't even talked about like what happens in this movie. Yeah, we're yeah. going to get we're going to dig okay. into that. But just overall. Yeah, I got that. A lot of themes popped out for me as well. Um, and I, I was trying to think about like thematic stuff while I was watching it. So I was nice taking notes. Well, I will tell you, I was honestly dreading watching this movie. I don't have any good reason why. I just it felt like it. We had just watched it, and I was like, oh, I don't want to watch it again. Like Chris and I, this whole week, we're like, ah, oh, when are we gonna watch this fucking movie? Um, and then I honestly enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I would. I, even though I'd, I'd like, I liked the movie. I'd already seen it a couple times. I liked it, um, but I did get something out of it on rewatch for sure. Like it wasn't as much of a slog as I expected it. I'd say you know, having recently seen it. The jokes too. The jokes really popped. Yeah, it was funny. Yeah. On the rewatch. Give me one joke that popped for you this time. All the stuff with Donald, everything he said, like was much funnier. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, yeah. oh, it's so fucking stupid. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it was yeah. all very inside rewriter jokes though. I like I'm not like a writer, so but I could see, oh, this must be hilarious to someone who spent their life writing like screenplays in LA and things like that. The part where Donald, <laughs> the part where he's like, I'm trying to develop an image system for my themes. Um, I'm gonna use broken mirrors in order to symbolize the character's fractured psychology. And it's like, <laughs> good, wow, nailed it. You really got that one. Technology, Technology versus... versus <laughs> technology versus horse. Brandon, technology versus horse. That was a that was a great well, one. Well, yeah, yeah. So let's let's dig into it. Um, the the plot is a little bit uh, all over the place, but let I just I have a couple like areas to talk about. So like we start off by introducing the brothers, the Charlie and Donald Kaufman, both played by Nicolas Cage, um, and really just like delightful, like. <laughs> Like I, I really, I think on this rewatch, I really appreciated the Donald character a lot more. I was like, he's, you know, the real, like, you know, the best person in this movie. Like he's like the only good guy. Like Charlie Kaufman is just a fucking miserable asshole. Like, mm -hmm. 
Um, and like Donald just like wants to hang out with his brother and like write a fun screenplay. Like what, like I, I was, I was telling Chris, like, I think this is the most, um, cheerful Nicolas Cage character that's ever been in a movie. I can't think of many other ones. And he's doing it so ironically like he doesn't i don't think he likes doing it i think he's like he's making fun of him of that kind of person when he does it you know what i mean but can I, I you mean, think of like any movies where he's like like i mean probably national treasure for a little bit but like just like no angst just like there to hang out and have fun like <laughs> the cop from it could happen to you was a nice guy he had some angst though yeah absolutely no angst in the character of donald that's yeah. very good point so chill um can i can i give a brief summary uh yeah sure if you want to do an overall summary go for it i was thinking we'd go through it uh roughly chronologically and just whatever you'd like to say i feel like if we go through it roughly chronologically a lot of it won't make sense i don't disagree this is like westworld we're talking here whatever whatever you want to do we're having a nice chill donald kaufman day over here (laughs) (laughs) yeah break it down for us danny p break it down I think that one, well, before I break it down, if you're going to add anything from this movie to your soundboard, it should be push, push in the bush. (laughs) Okay. I'm doing it right now. (laughs) This movie is about screenwriter Charlie Kaufman, real world screenwriter of the film John Malkovich. He is coming off of his success with John Malkovich, having a meeting with um, the film is called Being John Malkovich. What did I just say? You just said John Malkovich. Oh, Being John Malkovich. Yeah. <laughs> John Malkovich being another real person. Anyways, Charlie Kaufman has just written this movie. Coming off of that success, he has a meeting with a film exec who wants him to write an adaptation of the book, The Orchid Thief by should Susan. We, now, Dan- Danny, now that you're hosting the show, should we cut in with our thoughts or uh, <laughs> do you want to do the whole thing straight from top to bottom? Chris, you're muted. You guys, you guys can go home. I want to I would hear say what you he has go to home, say. but you're already home. <laughs> let's hear. Let's hear him out. Let's hear him out. All right, Ali, we're we're, hear, we're hearing you out. I'm I'm just actually reading off the Wikipedia page. No, I'm not. Oh. Read off the Wikipedia page, Danny. Come on. So he's taking a meeting to do an adaptation of the book Susan, uh, the Orchid Thief by Susan Orleans. He also soon, a real book. Also a real person. Real book. Real person. Writer for the New Yorker. He soon finds out that he cannot write this adaptation. He is struggling, and the solution he eventually comes to is to write a movie about himself trying to write the adaptation of this book. That is the movie that we are watching. And so, oh, I see. Chris was putting a graphic over my face, and I was like, what is this? And it was like a warp image, and it's like, yeah, your mind should be blown right now because this is metafiction at its best. I'm opening Adobe Audition right now. Huh? I was opening Adobe Audition to get the soundbite of him saying <laughs> so that was not even on purpose. No. But I, I made I, I made it look good. Anyways, um this is metafiction at its best, where the characters in the story are creating the story that you are yourself witnessing. Right. So it's cool. I really like metafiction. It's um yeah. I just remembered an anecdote from our um Raising Arizona episode. Uh, about this uh when we did that with um 
our guest who is uh, Oscar writing Oscar winning screenwriter David Rabinowitz who said he originally wanted to do this movie like many other people this was I I always say this but it was a very commonly requested movie um uh but he said he didn't want to he he was like I want to do adaptation but then I thought like you know wow uh doing an episode about a story about a screenwriter struggling to adapt, adapt material when I'm a screenwriter struggling to adapt, adapt material. It's two on the nose. You also, you uh, guys, you guys are such good friends because why? you could have had an Academy award winning <laughs> screenwriter do this movie about screenwriting and you guys let me do it. So that's really fucking nice. Of but that's you. not the point excuse, of this podcast, man. This excuse is- me. I have to. A little push, push in the bush. Did you? Uh, you, that's, you got- how, that's how fast Chris is. Chris just added that to a soundboard that I have access to from but, half a city away. But you're too fast because you got to the guy hit the button before I did. You suck. <laughs> <laughs> Oh well. Well, at least Danny, um, I uh, we you know I I just I didn't want to take anyone's movie away from them when they claimed it. You were so uh, adamant that that was the movie you wanted. Um, God bless so, you. Anyway, so we got this movie. <laughs> let's let's let's. Let, I'm gonna just. I thought that was very some... good and necessary. I lo- I wanted to get get that out of the way. I loved it. I think that's a good. I think that was a good summary, and appreciate you doing it. Let's let's talk about like. I'm just gonna th- shout out some areas of the movie and some themes so what did you guys think of the charlie kaufman donald kaufman brother relationship nicholas cage's portrayal of them uh in general i loved it i thought it was fantastic i think charlie kaufman can't do anything wrong i don't know i haven't seen all of his movies but it's actually a very fascinating thing that he has done in this because every almost everybody in this movie is real except for Donald Kaufman. Right. Donald Kaufman does not exist. When you watch the opening credits, it says screenplay by Charlie and Donald Kaufman. And Donald Kaufman is just a figment of his imagination, a character that he created for this movie and a way to like make some interesting thematic points. Um, But I think it's really cool to have them be identical twins and to have them have such polar opposite personalities. Yeah. And I thought that they were played flawlessly. I think Chris said when he was watching it, he said, I didn't even realize it. I didn't even feel like I was watching a Nicolas Cage movie. Like he really. He transformed himself. Disappeared into the role. This isn't Nick. Yeah. He. This is like, if you ever have any doubts, he's a good actor. You can even watch Live in Las Vegas and be like, eh, you know, he could just be drunk mm. the whole time. I don't know, whatever. Yeah. But this movie, you're like, oh, this guy is a really good actor. Like, he has to be to pull that off. Was nominated for Best Actor for this movie. Did not win, though. Mm. Who um, won? Oh, I did look this up. Shit. It was. I, while you're looking that up, I have heard it said that. Nicolas Cage has said that he had to suppress every instinct he had as an actor in this performance. <laughs> so he had like opposite day and it worked out really well. Right. Just that's like, what I've heard. It's like, now what would Nicolas Cage not do? And then it's like, that's a good performance. All right. Oh, here's, right. here's, we're going to play a game. I'm going to tell you everyone that was nominated. Okay. And you guys tell me who won. Okay. So Let's obviously see. Nicolas Cage did not win for adaptation. He was up against Michael Caine for The Quiet American. Michael Caine. Michael Caine. Uh, Adrian Brody for The Pianist. 
Daniel Day-Lewis, mm. Gangs of New York. Jack Nicholson about Schmidt. I know who won. It was Adrian Brody, wasn't it? It was Adrian Brody. This is the one where he he kissed Halle Berry, I think. Adrian Brody did. Didn't didn't Adrian Brody like he, kiss someone when he, he won the Oscar? It's did, like no no, no like on, like like she presented it and then. Uh... Oh, I thought that happened in the. I haven't seen the Pianist. I don't know anything about the Pianist. I've heard, I've heard different, kind of Danny. I've heard. I think different. it's a dark movie. <laughs> I, some people have shown me their pianists, but I haven't seen the pianist. Hey, motor with a Damn it, Danny! You even, the hands were even on the damn keys. How'd you do that? That's crazy. You did it. I did it. Oh. I'm here too. Oh my god. All right. Anyway, so we've got the twins. Um, here's a fun fact: uh, that Nicolas Cage's actual brother, radio personality Mark Coppola. Uh, would stand was a stand-in during uh, whenever they needed someone to stand in for the twins. Oh, that's cool. Oh, that's fun. Um, and then I got another fun fact. Where did it go? Um, it's about the fat suit that he wore because he did wear a fat suit to play this character, and uh, it was stuffed with lentils and beads, and he sweated so much in the suit that the lentils sprouted. Oh. <laughs> Oh my god, that's hilarious. That's what? That's so gross. That's, that's very funny. Gross. And then okay. he's, that's interesting though, because like there are a lot of shots of Nick Cage shirtless in this movie. Right. And he's supposed to be a schlub. Like Charlie Kaufman in Charlie Kaufman's mind is, as he repeats over and over again, fat, balding, repulsive, ridiculous. Right? Yeah and and that's Some major self-esteem issues <laughs> right right and so that's how uh nicholas cage is supposed to appear um charlie kaufman in real life is not really any of those things as far as i've seen but yeah. like we are seeing the character through the lens of his own mind Ooh, metafiction cool wow um <laughs> wow but there are a lot of shots of him shirtless and it's all tits up yeah well, no, no, they, I will say, they have some prosthesis that kind of blends. No in, in way. The, the bottom of the boob. I yeah. will say, yeah, I, I, it, I spent some time thinking about this because one of the clips that I wanted to get was him shirtless in the bed talking to Donald. No nips on Twitch. And no nips on Twitch. We couldn't get it. Oh, yeah. We thought about censoring out the nips and then just got another clip. Speaking of that, Chris, why don't we watch the clip of them together talking at the Being John Malkovich film set? I don't know. Why don't we? <laughs> I got no reason why not. <laughs> <laughs> all right all right they are together at the all right this one i love this one please don't hit on crew members donald what the makeup girl she was hitting on me bro <laughs> just don't embarrass me okay i have to work with these people i won't anyway listen i meant to ask you i need a cool way to kill people <laughs> don't worry for my script I don't like that kind of stuff. Come on, man, please. You're the genius. Here you go. The killer's a literature professor. He cuts off little chunks from his victims' bodies until they die. He calls himself the deconstructionist. That's kind of good. I like that. See, I was kidding, Donald. Oh, okay. Sorry. You got me. <laughs> Still... Do you mind if I use it, though? <laughs> Charlie like... just looks away. 
it's crazy how good he is at this. This is like, yeah. wow. Like you really, it really seems like they're both there, and uh, it really you can see the the, the different. Uh, there's there's some scenes in this movie where like the two of them are there, and neither of them are talking, and you tell who it is just from the expression on their face. Like it's. I, I feel like part of how he gets away with making it seem like the two of them are there is that they're never really looking at each other. And for good reason, Charlie does not want he to doesn't be there do with his eye contact. Yeah. yeah, right, 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 right. That's a good point, Danny. That's a great point. Yeah. Um, I just watching that, I had the thought, Donald is a dog and Charlie is a cat. <laughs> hmm. I'm with you. I buy it. All right. Let's let's keep cruising. It's already five thirty. Donald we got some stuff is a to talk. duck. Donald is a duck, and Charlie, Charlie is a horse. Is a horse, yes. A unicorn <laughs> is a chocolate boy from like chocolate factory boy. Charlie in the chocolate factory. <laughs> All right, let's talk about net. My the next thing I was talking about is uh the Meryl Streep character. Mm. So she's uh, titties. Heyo, got some Excuse- Meryl Streep titties in this movie. <laughs> what what? Here, here. She shows her boobies. Chris, yeah. we're breaking up. Oh, I'm breaking up. Oh, uh, the audio quality is bad. Hold on. I, I think, Let I me think fix you're that. something different, Chris. <laughs> Let's just talk about the moment those Meryl Streep titties were on the screen. <laughs> I paused it. I rewound it. I tried to check the neck to see if it was a Photoshop. It looked real. You know what? This is actually a really great. I'm glad that you're saying this, Chris, because I feel like everyone is always talking about how talented Meryl Streep is. Right. And that's just like, we're not appreciating. Let's fucking objectify her. She's such an incredible actress. She's so good. She has all of this value as a person and nobody is saying (laughs) the obvious and important statement that she's a fucking hottie with some big knockers. Hottie at like (laughs) in her late 40s? What? Yeah. So yeah. So she's, she was was um around like 49 50-ish when this movie Keeping was made. It wow. tight. Still be great. Yeah. Anyway. Um yes, her so performance Mar- was amazing. Meryl, St- Meryl Streep is playing Susan Orlean, the author. Um I I wouldn't say that I connected as much with her story as Danny said that he did. I think that because she kind of ends as the villain, you like lo- you stop empathizing with her, at least from my perspective, because you're like, like by the end she's like drugged out on this like white ghost orchid uh shit and she's trying to murder everybody but he's cocaine he's the hummingbird and she's the orchid and she couldn't help herself but change you know yeah he was good this is the one that fit inside her special her special orchid place with his Mm -hmm. special proboscis don't you get it proboscis she proboscis proboscis She was waiting for the nose that would fit inside. (laughs) Um, This is is actually really good because I see, I feel like the reason why I connected to the Susan Orleans story so much more this time is because I was looking out for the themes and I feel like her story is so driven by the theme of wanting to be inspired by something. Right. Very true. Right. That's what she says over and over and over again. She wanted to love something as much as John LaRoche loved flowers, right? And and Charlie Kaufman wants to love something as much as John LaRoche loves flowers. Everybody wants to like find this love, find this connection, and that's what's driving every character and what's forcing them to adapt 
forcing them to change, making the story move forward. You lost me. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just um, kidding. So I want to talk about, I don't know if we, I don't think we got a clip of this, but the best scene, Beryl Streep's best scene is when she's fucking high out of her mind in the hotel room. Uh, she's gotten, she's gotten the drugs. Yeah, let's do it. Um, we don't, we don't have a clip, tone? unfortunately. No, but we're gonna make we're, the, di- we're gonna do the dial tone, guys. We're oh gonna, yeah, we're gonna do the dial we're tone. We're gonna do the yeah. dial tone. Good, good, good. All, All right. right, one of us has to take the high, one has to take the low, one takes the. You, middle. you, you, Chris, you're in charge. You tell us what you want. All right, who's gonna go? Uh, Danny, you're taking low. Can you take low? Okay. Uh, like a bass, bass tone. Uh, uh, That's really good. That's perfect. Uh, mid, uh, Meg, can you take the high? What do I do? All right, ready? All right, let's. All right, we're gonna start on three. Ready? Get, get your breath. All right, ready? <clears throat> One, two, three. Uh, uh, <laughs> so I think that the key with a dial tone is it has to be like one semitone off. I don't know anything about music, so maybe you yeah, should explain, take control here. Uh, tell us what's you, you, Danny. You assign the parts. All right, Meg, <laughs> hold this note. Ooh, ooh, ooh. All right, I'm gonna match your note. Okay. I started on her note, and then I want a semitone down. Oh. And when two notes are a semitone apart, they start to like. You start to get this like vibratey feeling. Unfortunately, oh. Chris, I don't think you can participate in this. I think it's just a two-person dial tone exercise. It's all right. Anyway, we made a dial tone, let's guys. Hit buttons. Let's move on. Meryl Streep, good in this, <laughs> good in this movie. You know, not probably not her best acting role, but she's also got so many good acting roles that you know there's, you know, a lot to choose from. This this movie, I feel like, is more of a showcase for Nicolas Cage. And then also the other person who actually won an Oscar for this movie, Chris Cooper, who plays the John LaRoche character. Um, mm. His happy trail was all, what was that That scene where he's on the, fo- the fucking dial, t- dial up phone, just pants unbuckled on the couch, just fucking happy trail out. <laughs> I didn't, I, I didn't remember that. I was trail. like, whoa, he's, he's a hot old man. He, he's he not is a hot old, old man. He was uh, in good shape. Hot toothless flower boy. Yeah. They they made the joke in the movie. Betty gives great blowjobs. Yeah. <laughs> um, he so this was twenty years ago. So yeah, he was about the same age as Meryl Streep, just a couple of years younger. Yeah. So they were both like around fifty-ish. So at, at towards the end of the movie is when drugs get involved. But the interesting thing about the drug that Meryl Streep did that we were just talking about um, is that it makes people fascinated by whatever they're looking at, like makes people mm. entranced, which means it gives Susan Orlean what she's been wanting throughout the entire movie, which is to be so engrossed by something outside of herself, um, yes. which is cool. Um, Yes, yeah, so I, let's... I just looked I this up. The ghost orchid is real. Okay, I didn't know that. I, I... Yeah, thank you, because I was also going to look this up, and I yeah, forgot. But I don't know. Right, I don't so think that... the drug is real, but the ghost orchid is real. Who knows? Who knows? So I thought Chris Cooper was very good in this. He obviously wears prosthetic fake knocked out teeth. He obviously won an Oscar for this. Um, he has a lot of good moments like the story. You know, he he does. He has They give him a lot of uh, good monologues, like the monologue about how he was really into fish. And then one day he's just like, fuck fish. Mm-hmm. And also the story about how he lost his teeth is very tragic. Just terrible car accident. So good. 
Um, and uh, yeah, I thought he was great in this movie. Yeah, Chris Cooper was really fun. Had a cool van. Uh, what did you call him, Chris? Hanging with what? Chris Cooper? Yeah, you had a. Oh, I had a name for him. Oh, yeah. He was the the Tiger King of of what was it? The Tiger King of of orchids. Tiger or... King of orchids. Yeah, that's yeah. funny. That's good. He's very very Joe Exotic ask. He is. Like, yeah. He's a man. Also, Tiger well, King pro- series coming out with Nick Cage as the main character. So that'll be looking forward so, to that. I feel like I feel like um, John LaRoche is the Donald to Susan Orleans Charlie where where Susan Orleans is very academic. They're both very smart, but Susan Orleans is very academic, very studious, very self-aware, very self-conscious. John LaRoche is very focused outside of himself. He's a narcissist, but he gets so entranced and so uh, fixed on all of these little things. He gets obsessed with turtles and then fish and then flowers. Um, but he's a little bit of a hummingbird going from thing to thing. Um, and Donald is very much a get rich quick scheme kind of guy, completely unselfconscious, doesn't worry about himself, turns out to be as talented as Charlie, but not in the same prude academic, like right. stuck up sort of way. And so like fucking this is, about, uh, this is a story about repressed people learning from uh, people that are more open. Yeah, yeah, totally. Can I tell you guys a cool story about a hummingbird? Chris was there, so uh, but today when we were on our hike, we saw a hummingbird go by, and Chris and I just instinctively froze and then put our fingers out like this, and then uh, the hummingbird just no like it, no, it didn't land on us. But it, it thought about hovered, it. It thought about back it. and forth like really close to our heads. It thought about it, but it didn't do it. Great story. <laughs> That's I love crazy. It. Great story. <laughs> Fuck you. For podcast listeners, she put her finger out like a perch as a place like a for perch, the hummingbird. Yeah, Not a middle finger up in the air. <laughs> we both sat there and we were like we were f- flipping off the hummingbird. Like, what if fuck you, you, hummingbird. If you flip off a hummingbird and it landed on your finger, that would be it saying, fuck you back. It'd be like, no, fuck you, my <laughs> it friend. It would land on your finger and then take a duke, Just, a dookie. They would a like, dookie. they probably have machine gun dookies that can like, that travel at Mach 10. <laughs> I just thought of something about this movie. Every woman what? except Catherine Keener, every named female character in this entire movie except Catherine Keener, and I am including his, uh, the lady, uh, God, uh, Tilda? Tilda, I'm including Tilda, is sexualized except for Catherine Keener. Is Tilda sexualized? Yes. Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I just okay. thought of that. Damn. Some, something that I just remembered is that Maggie Gyllenhaal's character, Maggie Gyllenhaal played the makeup lady that. Uh, Donald winds up right. hooking up with. Yeah, I misremembered this movie. I thought that Donald just hooked up with real life Maggie Gyllenhaal. <laughs> I thought that Maggie Gyllenhaal was on the set of being John Malkovich, and like Donald became her boyfriend. And I was like, "Wow, Maggie that's Gyllenhaal, a, man, real life age when she did this, twenty one. No way. Yes, wow. yeah. I had to look it up. I'm like, she looks young. She is a twenty one year old Maggie Gyllenhaal making out with a late forties. Uh, Nick Cage. I I uh <laughs> it's a very good point, Chris. I would say this movie is not great on women necessarily. Like uh I think uh there's a lot of you know early two thousands gratuitous boobs mm-hmm. for sure. We gotta say we hello see- to these, not to say goodbye to these from uh, right. We see Judy yeah. Greer's boobs, we yeah. see Meryl's boobs. Um yeah. do you think he wrote a good female character in Meryl Street? I don't I would say no, because I I didn't 
I think because she goes so cartoonishly villain at the end. Right, right. Like, yeah, I didn't think so until watching it this time. But I do have to agree with you that she becomes very cartoonishly a villain at the end. And so, uh, spoiler to the folks who haven't seen it, at the end of the movie, he realizes that the only way he can end the movie is to use all of these things that he said he didn't want to put into a movie, which are guns, drugs, violence, and sex. And he makes all of that play out in the story between Susan Orleans and John LaRoche in a way that they didn't happen in real life, such that the movie can have an interesting and fun conclusion. And so susan orlean's character gets totally pimped out for the sake of the film (laughs) danny i'm going to gently correct you and let you know that it's susan orlean no plural i well okay he's he he said susan orlean's character well no but he was saying it before i thought i thought i'm sure i was i know i was and i was thinking about i don't know whether it's plural or not and i think i might have flip-flopped back and forth a few times but i just i just for for anyone who's listening at home and it's like oh that's wrong like i don't i don't i don't i don't want to work you up any longer we well need wait I mean, she winds up in a swamp and that's got me thinking about nola so i might keep calling her susan orleans <laughs> well all right what about this those sues uh the swamp watery we got sues susan sues suez chris, suez chris. canal the boat the boat blocking the suez what bad author port of call susan orleans <laughs> susan Whoa. Oh, this is what movie. happens when we drink during a show. <laughs> I've had a single beer. I am just That seems to make a lot of sense to you guys, but I don't know what the <laughs> fuck we're talking about. <laughs> the That's Suez fair. Canal, it's all connected. Charlie Kaufman. <laughs> Those are two two unrelated thoughts. Bad Lieutenant Port of Call New Orleans was our movie last week Ow. and we made a lot of stupid Ow. jokes about it. Um all right. Let's let's yeah, what in Zeus's butthole we were talking about. Let's let's keep moving. Uh we we have um Right around here, I feel like in the plot, we have the scene where he has that moment of clarity where he realizes he's going to write himself into the movie. Uh, let's let's watch it. Okay. Nice. Warning, it is long. Tell me if you want me to stop it early or skip around. Who am I kidding? This is not Susan Lee's story. I have no connection with her. I can't even meet her. I can't meet anyone. I have no understanding of anything outside of my own panic and self-loathing and pathetic little existence. It's like the only thing I'm actually qualified to write about is myself and my own self... We open on Charlie Kaufman, fat, old, bald, repulsive, sitting in a Hollywood restaurant across from Valerie Thomas, uh, a a lovely statuesque film executive, Kaufman, uh, trying to get a writing assignment, wanting to impress her. He's describing the actual scene in the film. Yeah. Fat, bald, Kaufman paces furiously in his bedroom. He speaks into his handheld tape recorder and he says, Charlie Kaufman, fat, bald, repulsive, old, sits at a Hollywood restaurant with Valerie Thomas. Kaufman, repugnant, ridiculous, jerks off to the book jacket photo of Susan Orlando. Clark, what do you want? I finished my script. I'm done. Donald has entered. So would you show it to your agent? It's called The Three. 
font for the three is ridiculous. It's like a... Thanks. I also want to thank you for your idea. It was very helpful. I changed it a little. Now the killer cuts off body pieces and, and makes his victims eat them. It's kind of like Caroline has this great tattoo of a snake swallowing its own tail. And... Ouroboros. I don't know what that means. <laughs> a snake. It's called Ouroboros. I don't think so. But anyway, it's cool for my killer to have this modus operandi because at the end, when he forces the woman who's really him to eat herself, he's also eating himself to death. I'm insane. I'm Earl Bruce. I don't know what that word means. I've written myself into my screenplay. That's kind of weird, huh? It's self-indulgent. It's narcissistic. It's solipsistic. It's pathetic. I'm pathetic. I'm fat and pathetic. I'm sure you had good reasons, Charles. You're an artist. The reason is because I'm too timid to speak to the woman who wrote the book. Because I'm pathetic. Because I have no idea how to write. Because I can't make flowers fascinating. Because I suck. Hey, am I in the script? I'm going to New York. I'll meet her. That's it. That's what I have to do. Don't get mad at me for saying this, Charles. But Bob's having a seminar in New York this weekend. So if you're stuck... It does okay. set us up for our, uh, our next clip, which we'll be playing in a little bit. This is a really good moment to talk about what actually happened in real life. And what actually happened was Charlie Kaufman was hired to write an adaptation of Susan Orlean, possessive S, Susan Orlean's uh, book, The Orchid Thief. And then he failed to do that, and he wrote himself into the movie. He went to New York to meet Susan Orlean got on an elevator with her, and was too scared to talk to her. He went to an actual Robert McKee seminar. Probably didn't have the conversation with Robert McKee that he had there. And I think from there, that's where we depart from reality. Right, because he he does, in New York, he asks Donald to help him with the script, and that's when the script, the the story gets real crazy because that's like yeah. the, the shit Donald likes. So he, right. he never actually talked to Susan Orlean. No. I got so a, I got a trivia. Where he sends her... He sends Donald to talk to her, and they have that conversation. He's asked, so that's all made up. I think this so. This movie's crazy, dude. Yeah. So he, ne- right, here's, he never actually met Susan Orlean while writing the screenplay for this film. The first time he encountered her in person was over a year into production when she – I will say that the trivia in IMDb has her as Orleans, which is very confusing. Um, when she visited the set during uh, filming and Nicolas Cage introduced her to Kaufman, uh, the first thing that Susan said to him was, you have no idea how embarrassed I am right now, to which Kaufman responded, not as embarrassed as me, before running off set, and they did not speak <laughs> for another year. Smoke bomb. That's hilarious. Because, like, dear God, like, he writes about the fact that he jerked off to her picture. I know. He writes her becoming a drug addict into this movie. Like I, I cannot imagine that. She's like a New Yorker author, like uh, like like article author. It's like all proper. Like oh, I made this article about orchids. So she actually more trivia. She was extremely uh, opposed to this movie. She uh, did not. Yeah. uh, She her first reaction uh, when she read the screenplay was absolutely not. Of course. uh, yeah, she said, no, you're, are you kidding? This is going to ruin my career. Um, and uh, basically the uh, people, the producers said that everyone else had agreed, you know, like the, all these other people have said so. Um, and so she felt like she was insane to see it. She was insane to um, agree to it. Uh, but then now she loves the movie. That's hilarious. So she was oh, just man. like, fuck this. All her friends I are love, probably like, oh. I love the meta joke of John LaRoche constantly being like, 
who do you think should play me? I think I should play me. <laughs> now, that would be great if John LaRoche actually was in this movie. Now, that would be great. I don't know, man. If he played himself. There was apparently a, a cut scene where uh, Nicolas Cage meets Susan Orlean was just at a grocery store playing somebody else, like just a stranger. Oh, oh. yeah, yeah, yeah. She's in the credits. She's in the credits as like... It's a deleted scene, unfortunately. Oh, oh. dang. Um, all right, so let's 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 keep this moving so we're in new york right now um we've got this uh screenwriting let's go, seminar let's go on board let's go that was thank real slow you, that you. was slow you did it you did it that was great um would you would you say that i should what do you say we cut the chit chat a hole I, I, yeah that was fine well to that i would respond you know i can uh, eat a peach for hours you know, put that one didn't make sense. Peaches, they grow on a little push, push in the bush. <laughs> they, right? They grow on bushes, right? Good old oh, peach God. bush. All right. Let's move on. Uh uh, we're we're in New York. There's a screenwriters class. We meet um Robert McKee. Mm. played by Brian Cox, who has been in a lot of stuff, but I love him from Succession, and he is fucking terrifying. For a small Scottish man, <laughs> he is really scary. I'm just double-checking that he's actually Scottish. I think he's Irish. He is, well, that's Brian Cox, physicist. No, he's Scottish. He was born in Dundee. Crocodile Dundee. So. Uh, and he really uh, commands the stage. So let's see our clip of him. Sir, what if the writer is attempting to create a story where nothing much happens, where people don't change, they don't have any epiphanies, they struggle and are frustrated and nothing is resolved? More reflection of the real world. The real world? Yes, sir. The real fucking world. First of all, you write a screenplay without conflict or crisis, you'll bore your audience to tears. Secondly, nothing happens in the world? Are you out of your fucking mind? People are murdered every day. There's genocide, war, corruption. Every fucking day, somewhere in the world, somebody sacrifices his life to save somebody else. Every fucking day, someone somewhere takes a conscious decision to destroy someone else. People find love, people lose it. For Christ's sake, a child watches a mother beaten to death on the steps of a church. Someone goes hungry. Somebody else betrays his best friend for a woman. If you can't find that stuff in life, then you, my friend, don't know crap about life. And why the fuck are you wasting my two precious hours with your movie? I don't have any use for it. I don't have any bloody use for it he said bloody okay thanks <laughs> okay thanks oh my god i, I love Dude, how he said bloody. such a good scene and and not featured there is him having a terrible internal monologue where he's like i'm stupid i'm useless i should never have come here and then robert mckee says and god help you if you use an inner monologue any idiot can use an inner monologue and it goes silent he, he now says in his, uh, so Robert McKee, real Robert McKee says in his screenwriting seminars that he's no longer against the use of voiceover narration, or he's not against the use of voiceover narration, despite what Charlie Kaufman says, that's a quote, uh, but his point is that voiceover narration must add to the story and not describe what's already being seen on the screen. Mm -hmm. Oh. Makes sense. 
so they, they he uh, follows him out. They get a drink together, uh, and then uh, Robert yeah, McKee ends up helping him. Yeah, that sex scene was fucked up. <laughs> the sex scene between Charlie Kaufman and Robert McKee. Yeah, that was a real uh, weird one. But was it? it I think like. Sorry. I mean, I think that their their man on man love was beautiful. The part that I didn't appreciate was the clearly fucked up power dynamic going on. Like Robert McKee was in a position of power. Um, yeah, I, I totally agree. I thought mm. that it was a really cool trick that kind of kept the audience guessing when you saw a hand touch another hand and then you don't know who the other hand was and it almost could have been Donald tagging in and you don't know. Right, right. You don't right, know right, who right, it was. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. The part where the part where Donald and Charlie ran a train on Robert McKee, though, mm. I think was gratuitous. The Eiffel Tower was a little too much. Right, right, right. Yeah, we didn't need to see it explicitly. Like it could have been implied. Like a Thematically, silhouette. though, with the symmetry, kind of cool. Um Ah, uh, yeah, twins. And and, I get and Brian Cox's dick, much like the proboscis, went really far down Donald's throat, or we don't know if it was Donald or I honestly also, I think that the, the moment that I thought was most moving was when uh Charlie and Donald, you know, reached over to have a kiss because it's like, isn't it really just sort of Charlie embracing his inner self as reflected wow. in the mirror? Like it's like him coming to terms. Right. You know, really beautiful. So I actually do tear up at what comes after this scene in the movie which is where Charlie invites Donald to come out and help him with the screenplay and mm. Donald loses it. He's like, oh my God, I would be so honored. And I just start crying because it's like, all Donald wants is his brother to love him, you know? And like, then he fucking dies in the end. Oh. So for, the, the Donald character spoiler is really- Spoiler alert. <laughs> oh yeah, spoiler alert. Sorry, we're not spoiling this movie anymore. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Donald and, and Robert McKee tells him, "Don't cheat, don't use a Deus Ex Machina," and he absolutely yeah, he uses does. a Deus Ex Machina. That's a real big Deus Ex Machina. Back machina. Which, Wait, is, what, which is the Deus Ex Machina? Is it the alligator? It's the gator. Yeah, yeah. the gator eats John Laroche, and that solves the problems. Everything's and over. that's what a Deus Ex Machina is. It's cool, though, because given that this is metafiction, the deus ex machina is a choice by the writer, the protagonist, Charlie Kaufman, to make his movie his way. Yes. It's, it's also, yeah, it's also what Donald would do. <laughs> right, right. Because Donald is really writing the second half of this movie. There's yeah. so many stories that are told by telling these two parallel stories that eventually intersect. Like Final Fantasy X, uh, Westworld, mm. you know, so many. So movies. many stories are told, Chris, by telling three parallel stories that intersect and then will come together at the end. I was thinking, is this a herald? But there's, <laughs> where's the third thread in this bad boy? If it is a herald, I don't know if it is. No, it's not. It's not really. It's a two-part herald. I don't know what you would call this, but it definitely has like. Not a everything piece. is a fucking herald, Chris. Well, it's a deconstruction. I'm gonna be the fucking. Oh. I'm going to be the Charlie Cox of how everything is improv and be like, if you don't have a first beat and you don't have a second beat, I don't want to guess for it. Brian Cox, Charlie Cox is the guy from Daredevil. I am going to be the Charlie Cox. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to be British. I'm going to be the Susan Orleans. <laughs> Charlie Cox. And I'm, hello, I'm Charlie Cox. And you're Susan Orleans. And uh, welcome to the Bayou. I'm Susan Orleans. And we're here to do our show about script writing. <laughs> 
Yeah, so the first thing you're gonna wanna do is you're gonna wanna put the paper in the typewriter. And make sure you're not blind like me, or type in braille. I'm the daredevil. You you pretty much got it now. Thank you for coming to a seminar. That was the first and last episode. I'm editing, you guys. Good <laughs> Um... All right. Uh, the edit, I think, was a little late. Yeah, uh, <laughs> should have edited right at the I top. I accept that criticism. That's fair. Uh, All right. So we get, we get, we get. Uh, Donald meets Susan Orlean by pretending that he, she, he's Charlie, mm -hmm. and then we get the second half of the movie. Which let's just cruise through it because uh, a lot happens. It's mostly plotty. We get. Uh, they all go to Florida. Uh, we learn that that Susan and John LaRoche have been fucking, fucking, and cooking up drugs. They've got a drug thing going. Uh, they the 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 Kaufman brothers sneak up on their house and catch them fucking fucking and also doing drugs. And uh, this <laughs> and, is where and, the Susan Orlean character just I lose it a little bit because she just decides that she's got to murder them. Got to murder them like, mm -hmm. for no reason. What else are you gonna do? I'm not even sure that drug's illegal. Because no, it, it's it can't be illegal because people don't know it exists. It doesn't know it exists. Also, the ghost orchid is so rare that like no one's mass producing it. Like yeah. it's like one of those. And like what exactly is her fear that she's cheating on her husband? She's cheating on her husband and doing drugs while being a reclaimed author. You know, and she thinks that it would destroy her career. The stakes it, aren't I right. I don't, I don't buy up. it. I don't buy it. There's a lot of I said reclaimed, but I meant acclaimed. So. I was gonna say something about that, like a reclaimed author, like she's been like she was used or I don't I don't know how it like like a reclaimed it? wood, like yeah, a little reclaimed know. wood table. Yeah, I like that. Um I, I just uh, that's just her character is a little cartoonish for me. And I do think also yeah. like we, we skipped over the scene, but like that dinner party scene at the beginning is like nails on a chalkboard for me. Like it's too on the nose of like, ha look at these poor people. You know, like, like so trashy. You know, like it's 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 a little cartoonish. Well, I really like I really like the part where he's like, tell them about the van, and she's like, no, I I gotta go to the bathroom. Then I'll tell you. Don't tell them anything. And then her brother, her husband David goes, okay, so the van, and she's like, David. That's, that's <laughs> just one of my favorite scenes. Meg's brother is named David, which is funny that you said brother by accident. This is a Let's not, let's not investigate Aladdin. why that slip happened. I think this is a Aladdin. Lot, a lot of people have brothers named David. But like, seriously, I think this movie is Aladdin. Think about it. I'll give you a couple minutes. It's Aladdin. Let's just have some silence for a little while while Danny and I try to think about what the fuck you're talking about. I can show you the orchids okay. in my so van. That's a magic carpet. And so, uh, I'll give you Susan Orlean is Jasmine. Yep. Charlie Kaufman is Raja. Yep. Who's Jafar? <laughs> Jafar is the guy on Robert the stage, G. Brian Cox. Right, yeah. Oh, yep. Good. And yeah, uh, it, uh, Iago. It all checks out in that we can throw a bunch of characters from one movie into roles in another movie. Iago is, is Robin Williams, is Genie. Iago is Robin Williams? So, sorry. <laughs> Donald. <laughs> Donald is Robin Williams, is Genie. Good. Yeah, good. Okay. All right. <laughs> all right. So, um, all right, we got the ending. Uh, they're all in the, they're all hanging out in the jungle. Uh, we've got a kidnapping. Uh, they don't know about Donald, so Donald's hiding in the back of the car. Mm. Uh, Donald saves him, and then they all are, they're hiding in the jungle for a while. Uh, they want to shoot him. And then uh, they spend the night in the jungle. Um, there's some gators. Mm -hmm. Wakes up. And there's a very important touching moment 
Yeah, they have a little touching brother moment. We don't have a clip? No. We don't have a clip. I no. love that part, oh. though, because what he says is so, I mean, you could probably tell it better than I can. I'm sure you're about to. You should just, just reenact both parts, Danny. <laughs> so uh, Charlie is saying to Donald, like, I wish I could be like you. I wish I could be oblivious. And Donald says, I'm not oblivious. And Charlie says, no, I mean it as a good thing. And he's like, but I'm not oblivious. And Charlie says, you don't understand. Do you remember in high school when you went and asked Sarah Marshall out? I think he said Sarah Marshall. I think he did say Sarah right? Marshall, which Sarah is Marshall. funny. You went and asked Sarah Marshall out, and you were flirting with her, and she was playing along. But then you walked away. I could see you from the library. And when you walked away, she made fun of you. And I felt terrible. I felt like she was making fun of me. And you never even knew. And Donald says, I knew. And Charlie's like, what? And he's like, yeah, I knew that she was making fun of me. And Donald's like, then why didn't, why, why weren't you upset? You were smiling like an idiot. And, and Donald says, I loved her. You know, I loved Sarah and nobody could take that away from me. Not even her. And he says the very important line, you are who you love, not who loves you. I decided that a long time ago. Danny, are you going to cry? I might, I might, dude. I think that's well, I want. True. I think we need to have one of our guests cry on this podcast. That's my new challenge, Chris. <laughs> I think it's going to be you, Meg, before anybody else. It's going to be me. Yeah, probably will be me. I feel like that that uh, that that was really like one of those lines that was like, like oh, these there's like five of them in the movie. We're like, this is exactly what the movie's about if you just hit these five points. Yes, right. That was one of them. I do think, though, that was kind of written in a weird way because it's it's definitely from the perspective, like, that's his perspective, you know? He's telling his own life story. and Right, right. And it's so, I think it's, like, that's what makes the Charlie versus Donald thing so cool and interesting. They have the same DNA. He's making this statement that if I just made this different decision, I would be a completely different person. I would be a happier person. I would be a more successful person in the long run. Because I wouldn't be self-conscious about my creation. I would just make things that worked as opposed to like original and interesting and important. Like, and, and, and then he starts to try to become more of a Donald at the end. And that's his big epiphany. And that's why things work out for him. He also, I, I'm jumping ahead to the, to the ending. Whatever. Well, let's, let's, let's quickly say, so, so okay. they come out of the jungle um uh LaRoche shoots Donald kind of by accident. Uh they accidentally have a head on collision with a forest ranger who happened to come down the street. Donald goes through the windshield. Yeah, and then the LaRoche street. gets eaten by an alligator yep. at some point. Yeah, so uh and then so uh Donald dies while uh Charlie is singing uh Happy Together to him to try to wake him up because that was a song that they had shared a moment with earlier. Mm-hmm. And then we end up with like a weirdly happy ending. Yeah. Yes, where a, a character we haven't even brought up. Right. Amelia, right? That's her yeah, name? Yeah, I think so. Amelia is this violinist who Charlie is dating at the beginning, but never makes a fucking move on. There are multiple moments where it's like, you gotta, you gotta lean in, you gotta go for it, and he never does it. And then we eventually see her with another man because he blew his shot. Um, at the end, he meets up with her. They're chatting. He leans in and kisses her, and she's like, "Why are you doing this now?" And he's like, "I, you know, I don't know. I love you. I had to." And she says, "I love you too, you know." And it's like, "Wow, yeah, he did it. He finally like let himself out of his head. He let himself care about something because that's what the whole fucking movie is about. He, the whole movie is about him not letting himself write the right movie. 
because he thinks it has to be this. He thinks that life doesn't work this way. And finally, he embraces the fact that like he can want things. He can go for things. And that's what makes stories happen. And that's what makes his life move forward and gets him unstuck from the place where he is. Mm-hmm. I think that's a cool theory, bro. But I think what the movie was really about was Highlandering. I think he Highlandered his brother and took his soul into himself. And that's how Whoa. he became him. Yeah. That's a good theory. Yeah. I'm going to I'm gonna take back everything I just said. You are correct. But another cool thing about the very ending is his whole goal was to write a movie about flowers and how flowers are beautiful because in his mind, that's what the book is about. Right. And the last shot of the movie is on a bunch of daisies and it speeds up in time and we see the daisies like swaying and dancing to So Happy Together and they sh- sort of show the adaptability of flowers and how they chase after what they want the sun and how that allows them to change and tell a story and so he is like successfully unlearning the lesson of like we just want to write a movie about flowers while succeeding in showing the beauty of flowers meanwhile there's a long shot of like sunset in vermont (laughs) pretty much yeah with flowers I, i i gotta say if we jump back just a scotch uh the speech about love and how that love is mine and all this stuff a lot of stalkers have that same speech in their mind. Yeah, I didn't find that particularly <laughs> like moving as a thing. I was like, oh. It doesn't matter how you feel. I love you. Nothing's going to change that. <laughs> Night at the police. <laughs> <laughs> but Nothing yeah, it, it was sweet. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think that... I think that... It's, it's sort of the old message of like, you know, don't compare yourself to other people. Don't worry about what other people think. The important thing is like who you are and what you want to do. And like Donald, I don't think ever takes it in a terrible, creepy direction where it's like, no, no it doesn't matter that you don't love me because I'm going to make you love me. It, it's he meant to like, be pure. It is meant to be pure. Right. Yeah. right. Yeah. He owns his love. He doesn't force it on anybody. He certainly doesn't force it on Charlie. He just continually offers it to him, you know? Man. And let's uh twenty one year old Maggie Gyllenhaal. And twenty one year old Maggie Gyllenhaal. Little push, push in the bush. You didn't need to say it out loud. We got it right here, man. A little push, push in the bush. <laughs> I want I I, I uh this is terrible. I hate that this is on the separate. <laughs> um, let's watch our last clip. Uh, which is actually an interview, a little bit longer. It's an interview with Nicolas Cage talking about uh, this movie. And I'm just curious what your thoughts on it. I haven't watched this yet, so I'm curious. Wow, adaptation. When people say, I love Donald, I get jealous because I don't remember playing Donald. I was so into the Charlie Kaufman headspace and Charlie and I would spend hours interviewing I would interview Charlie, and I tape-recorded all the interviews. He said, well, I'm going to let you do this if you promise it never goes anywhere. And I said, Charlie, I'm going to light them on fire, I promise you. And I did. I poured kerosene on it, lit them all on fire, they're all gone. But I went through all the motions with Kaufman. I said, well, let me see you get angry. What what do you like when you like? And he was a good actor, actually. Charlie Kaufman is a very good actor. It was twice as much dialogue as everybody else. (laughs) And I would go to set, and if I got out of bed on that side, and I was in a good mood... I said, let's start with Donald today. And if I woke up the next day and I got out of bed on that side and I was in a bad mood and cranky, I said, let's, let's start with Charlie today. So we'd shoot the whole thing one way. This is either Charlie or Donald. And then take what I did 
put an earpiece in my ear and do playback while I looked at a tennis ball on a stand like that over there, you know, and imagine I'm either Charlie or Donald talking to one another. It was probably the most acrobatic challenge as a thespian I've ever had, and I'm not even sure I could do it again. I am I, I, not sure I could. But anyway, it's cool for my killer to have this modus operandi because at the end, when he forces the woman who's really him to eat herself, he's also eating himself to death. I'm insane. I'm Earl Bros. I don't know what that word means. I've written myself into my screenplay. Do That's we kind of that? weird, huh? You know, Meryl was great, and Chris was great, and, you know, they got their Oscars, but um, cool. <laughs> I was just, <laughs> it's all good. They're, you know, they were brilliant in the movie, but uh, it was the most challenging thing I've ever done. Wow. <laughs> oh uh, my fucking God. That's hilarious. Wow. I, that ending was fucked up. I will say every interview we've watched with Nicolas Cage does not make me like him more. He seems like that a That was some bitter shit. Douche. He's so, he's so endearing as Charlie and Donald Kaufman that I'm sitting here having warm feelings for Nicolas Cage. And as soon as I see him talking as my, as himself, I'm like, God, I hate this guy. And it's like, he's so yeah, like, like then they just he looked like his like Botox and like hair, like dark dark hair and beard dye. Like I just I don't know. There's something about the way he talks triggers something deep inside me, and I'm just like, fuck this. Also, that motherfucker (laughs) has an Oscar. You don't need to get multiple Oscars. Come on, asshole. Uh, they got their Oscars, but uh, did they act with themselves? I, I don't think so. And so that was a very challenging thing I did. That's okay. I don't need it. I don't need the Oscar. He had a very oh. telling uh, statement in his, about his personal life in this interview that I picked up on, which is he said, if I got out of bed on this side, I would play this person. If I got out of bed on the other side, I would play this person, meaning he sleeps either alone in his own bed or he was not with anyone at the time. Chris, I, it's a metaphor. Also, a, my video just saying. froze, but can you still hear me? We can yeah, say, where's, yeah. Where's, what happened to your video? What are you oh, doing? Oh, I don't know. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll figure it all out somehow. You look really uh, serious in the video. That was that was Nicolas Cage's internet saying I, he knows too much. Hey, Chris, you know what? Let's let's not worry about the video. Why don't you take us over to Bingo? Oh, let's check out the Bingo. We got a brand new Bingo card today. We we got Bingo last week. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna see what we got. Um, so let's start off. I, I think there's quite a bit. I mean, he dies like, for sure. He sure does die. What yeah. else? Um, we got? we he might get have a bingo. Accent. He, does he jump into water? Yes, he does uh, in the bayou the swamp. Yeah, but that's like jumping into water from a great height or is it? I, it... No, I, I put jumping into water. So, I mean, that's that's what we, wow. we, we got it. I don't think there's a boat or Las Vegas. He, he does sings. Sing. Uh, sings is there a cage voiceover yes for sure yes he doesn't smoke. love interest is greater than 15 years younger let's check it out does he Maggie. oh no yeah 100 percent greater yeah. than 15 years younger does the he movie he, does star nicholas cage does he smoke yeah, or not smoke in this movie he doesn't smoke he doesn't smoke uh, You've got smoking and not smoking. Hey, I'm trying to be thorough. All right, Maggie Gyllenhaal is age 43. Nicholas Cage is age 57. Ding, 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 ding. So no, 40, no, no, 14 no, no, years. No. 14 That's, years. Wow, so close. But I don't what about that other actress? Just kidding. She's Judy older. Greer? No, 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 no. Oh, Judy Greer, maybe. She's, she was 23. She was 23. Oh, no, she's she's younger than Maggie Gyllenhaal. Hmm? 
So she's 45. No, wait, never mind. Nope, there's still not enough age difference. All right, Elvis reference, no. Murder someone? No. Explosion? I don't think there's any explosions. There's a wig for no. sure. There's a lot of wigs. Sure. Wow, this is going fast, huh? Mental health issues? Mental health issues. I would say so. Yeah, because he's extremely de- neurotic. Depression. Uh, Chris takes place in LA. Whoa, this is this is crazy. Uh, would you call this a remake because it's it's uh, based on a book? Uh, let's not no. let's not say no. I mean, the important one right now. We've got Cages of Cop. No, Addiction slash History of Addiction. Is there no, a car chase? chase? That's that's a tough one. That's a tough one for me. Because, I would say no. Well, certainly not until the last part. And the only part that you could conceive of as being a car chase, they're two, like them going into the swamp, not really a car chase. He's being like directed and there's a car behind him that's following. And then there's when they try to drive away to escape and then hit the other car. But the I don't think the other two, I don't think aren't in a car. Yeah. Christ, I think we, we're, this movie hit so many boxes. Whoa. This is but insane. No I think that short one. next 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 show we're gonna hit because there's gonna Bangkok Dangerous has to have one car chase in it. Oh, you keep the card until you get bingo. Yes. So yeah. next week we're oh, you guys bingo. are set, baby. This is gonna be a short one. The last one we really struggled, but yeah, this uh, was a real good one. <laughs> we need a new game. So uh, either he does or does not smoke. Oh yeah, Brendan. Did we put? Did we put does not smoke? Uh, did you yeah, say I did. smoking or doesn't smoke. Do we have one where did we did we check off that he doesn't smoke? Yeah, I did. Yes. Okay, good. Um, Chris, what's going on with your video? I uh, don't know, but I'm afraid to fix it because I'm worried it's going to fuck up everything. So. All right. Why don't you just spend the rest of the show <laughs> frozen like that? It's a good. We're face. gonna go ahead and switch right. it. We're gonna Wait, go Danny, let's imitate and... him. You want to put it back up? I'm sure. He I, fixed oh, yeah. I fixed it. I fixed it. Fixed it. Just became a lot harder to imitate him. Is okay. it time for? <laughs> Rank in the cage, or is it time? What's what's next? Great question. Uh, I think it's time for a little bit of random trivia. So here's one that I tried to find in the movie, but I'm not convinced that I did. But there's one scene where Charlie comes home, checks his mail. He's in front of a mirror. Donald is behind him. The reflection in the mirror is of the real Charlie Kaufman. What? I'm looking at the man in the mirror. What? Uh, I we tried to watch it. I didn't. I didn't see it. But that uh, made me think about um in the scene where he and Donald are trying to fix the screenplay in the hotel in New York. There's one scene where we see Charlie sitting and talking to Donald, and you can see it. There's like a TV on a dresser and we see Charlie's reflection in the TV, but we don't see Donald's and that just, I don't know. I thought that's what we call a goof. No, no, no. Uh, uh, Donald wouldn't have been in the reflection of the TV. Oh, okay. Then that's what we call accurate. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, did you know that both of the brothers were nominated for a golden globe and an Academy award because they are the co-writers on the screenplay. Yeah. So that, if they had won, they would have had to share the statue. They did not did, win. They didn't win either of them? No, let me double check who did. I thought he That's won called... an award for this. And he said, I, you know, I'm accepting this award um, alone tonight. Unfortunately, my brother Donald couldn't be here. Uh, it was uh, the guy who wrote The Pianist. The Pianist did really well. 
The Piano did really well, and also The Pianist, I guess. Because those are two different movies, and I don't know why. Yeah. Oh. Uh, let's see. So the awards that they did win, uh, this I movie won. I wish my won. pianist did that well. Yeah. Sorry. I like to play my Guys. Because it, Meg, it sounds like penis. Yeah. I don't get it. Okay. All right. You ever heard right. of Tickle in the Ivories? So, yeah. So the uh, the awards that it won, uh, Best Supporting Actor, Academy Awards, it won a BAFTA for Best Adapted Screenplay. Ah. Uh, the Bartholomew and... A. Turkington. What's wait? It won the BAFTA. Says Brendan. Way to fucking tell us that ten <laughs> seconds after we find it out ourselves. <laughs> Don't yell at our audience, Chris. You know our one I'm audience. Sure that Brendan. I'm sure that Brendan typed it in before <laughs> Meg said I'm sure it. He did. There's quite a delay too. Um, it's the British Academy Film Awards. I don't know what the T. It's, oh, it's the Oscars of the UK. Yeah. Um. Uh. It also won Golden Globe for Best Supporting Actor, Best Supporting Actress, Mer- Meryl Streep. Um. They've got a lot of nominations too. Uh, I got more trivia. Uh. Guess who? Uh. Was supposed to play John Laroche and like made it basically to the final things and then decided that he was wrong for the. He decided he was wrong for the part and took himself out of the running. Oh. I would say going on just everything that's happened in all our movies. It's not John Travolta. All right. <laughs> no, it's it's John LaRoche, not um not Nicolas Cage's part. Oh, I thought you were saying John LaRoche decided that he wasn't right. No, for no, the no, role. no, 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 no. Okay. Uh, oh, Steve Buscemi, uh, Steve Buscemi. That's my that's, that's my guess. that's my guess. Uh, we'll give you another. I, I mean, hint. I want to say fucking like Johnny Depp or something stupid. Also like a that. great guess. I'll give Chris a hint. He, he was in a movie we've seen. Uh, Val Kilmer. He was eight in eight millimeter. Not Val Kilmer. Uh, oh, oh, Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah, it was Joaquin Phoenix. So he was like ready to do it, and then just decided he Joaquin Phoenix decided I'm wrong for this part, and that should go to go to someone else and took him out of the running. I mean, he's that a very he would have been very, very young. interesting. Mm. I could buy it. I think that would have been fine. He would. I mean, it would have been a big a big age difference. I do feel like Joaquin Phoenix is a lot younger than Chris Cooper and less likable. Yeah, I think he could have pulled it off. Uh, so they rec- Weezer recorded an acoustic version of Happy Together, which was going to play over the uh, credits. But then Spike Jones felt like the original version by the Turtles was a better bet. But there's a Weezer. Weezer was part of the soundtrack. At some point it was. Yeah, that's, that's great. Cool. There was there was another cover of Happy Together that was used, I think, for the soundtrack for Freaky Friday the <laughs> one with Lindsay Lohan and Jamie Lee Curtis. Guys, there's going to be another cover of, of Happy Together. Right now, imagine five, me six, you. seven, eight. I can't see me. <laughs> Love it. Uh, All right, guys. My yellow card. Uh, we got another one. Uh, Steve uh, Spike Jones used to be married to Nicolas Cage's cousin Sofia Coppola. Oh, also a director, that, that which sense. means that that they're all family. So Spike Jones was Nicolas Cage's Cage. Cage's cousin-in-law. Oh, incredible nepotism in Hollywood? That's a big surprise. It's I would say, you know. at that point, both of them had their own careers that were unrelated to being uh, being related to each other. But, yeah. Um, we, uh, oh, here's a fun one related to our upcoming show. Uh, guess, oh, no, I'm just going to tell you. Uh, all three stars of Con Air are in this movie. Nicolas Cage, John Malkovich, and John Cusack. But what about Steve Buscemi? Uh, 
I wouldn't say Steve Buscemi is the main star of Connor. John Cusack and John Malkovich are just on the set of being John. Yeah, Malkovich. we see them briefly. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, that's freaky. To think other about. people, other people in this movie: Judy Greer. Yes. Jim Beaver. Do you guys know Jim Beaver? I'm looking. No. Incredible talent. He's in a lot of like prestige television. What he does was, he play? He plays the park ranger at the beginning who first oh. stops LaRoche and the Seminoles. That's a great scene. Oh, that guy. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. He plays Ellsworth in Deadwood. He plays the he was like, in arms next. dealer in Breaking Bad. Oh, he was in next. He was in next. He's a big talent. <sighs> he was in right. another Nicolas Cage movie we just did called Next. So that's very interesting. I think it should be previous, given you just did it. <laughs> no, I mean, he was in a movie that was called Next. The pre... All right. Um, oh, we're going to stop this I, you, know, <laughs> you know, I think that it was really fucked up that there was nepotism involved in this movie, but I heard that Nicolas Cage feels terrible about it. He said... I am a bad man. Danny, we should just have you be the soundboard guy for all future shows. When he heard about the nepotism, he said, How in the name of Zeus's butthole? <laughs> let's let's let, let let's let's keep Shit, we're at an hour 22 here. We got to We're at an roll. hour 23 on my count. Let's rank this movie, guys. I'm very oh, curious cuz I think it's going to be a a high ranker. But is it going to beat any of our top three. I could see it knocking out The Rock, but I don't know if it'll take Mandy or Moonstruck. Danny, we'll talk you through this. Uh, okay. This is out of 10. Uh, how much did you like the cast of this movie out of 10? Just the casting, the actors, you were like, oh shit, this guy's in it. Out of 10, the casting was incredible. Jim Beaver, Maggie Gyllenhaal, <laughs> Jim Judy Beaver's Greer. <laughs> Jim Beaver's number one. Um. Yeah, everybody fucking knocked it out of the park. So I would give the cast and and the decision to cast Nicolas Cage and Nicolas Cage across from each other. Brian Cox, so many cool people. Brian Cox was also in Deadwood. Oh, I, I love Brian Cox. Do people give tens? Yes. If that's, I, a, I mean, if you can think of a, I mean, if you want to drop a dime, drop a dime, man. I'm I'm gonna tell you now. I'm gonna give this a ten too. So don't feel shy. Nice. Yep. I give it a ten. Ten. Meg gives it a ten. Yeah. Any any speech? You want to give about that a speech um i mean there's just so many good people in this i forgot that we're in it uh even uh and i got i don't know who he played somebody named augustus margary uh doug jones the super tall dude who played uh oh uh, uh, the, the fish guy. La- yeah the in the fish dude uh, doug jones one of my one of my favorite random actors to appear abraham sapien uh, who was he in this Somebody named uh, Augustus Marguerite, who is a real person. Oh, British... was he one of the guys at the dinner party? Oh, I think, no, 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 no. He was in one of the flashbacks. He was an explorer. Oh. The guy who gets killed and gets murdered, probably. The guy with yeah, the it's the guy who got, yeah, he did get murdered. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, well, I'm going to give it a zero because, and I'm also going to put uh, oh, a one for that zero and call it a ten. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. This uh, next one, Danny, is acting. And this is actually not Nicolas Cage's acting. Uh, Everyone else is acting. Everyone Everyone else else is acting. That seems weird, but okay. It is weird. (laughs) Seems weird, but We locked ourselves in. The data, we don't want to corrupt the data at this point. That's how we started, and that's how we're going. 
We'll, we'll judge his acting later on. I mean, Meryl Streep has some of the best tits in Hollywood. Oh. God. As we got to see in this movie, but, no, no, like they they're all very talented. I think that I think that Meryl Streep did a great job. I don't think that her talent was wasted on this role. I think that um, I love Judy Greer. Her scene was fantastic. Chris Cooper knocked it out of the park. Um, I give it, I give it an, an eight because like I, I yeah I give it an eight because everybody did a great job. It's not like there were any performances where it was like holy crap, this changes the way I think about acting. Um, yeah. But, like, yeah, everybody really nailed it. Uh, I got, yeah. I got a, a fun fact about the movie that I missed from our trivia. We have, this is the first for us, but the person who was originally supposed to be Charlie and Don, Donald Kaufman, not John Travolta. Gerard Depardieu? Tom Hanks. Whoa. No. No. And I think that uh uh the I think the reason that Cage got it was because he got a big salary cut. He only got five million, which is I guess not that much. Tom Hanks or, wow. or oh well he, he was a cheaper option. Yeah. Wow. Uh I also agree with uh with Danny that uh you know Meryl Streep has the best tits in the business, but I would say tits stands for uh talent, instinct, timing. <laughs> And scenes. So I am going to give this also an eight. Um, yeah, I I like the acting in this. I do think a lot of the characters don't really, you know, aside, I mean, it's really a big showcase for like the main three characters. Um, and, oh, and also Brian Cox. Brian Cox gets a really good scene too. I'm going to give it an eight. This, wow, we were. You know, Tilda Swinton doesn't get. Tilda Swinton doesn't get much to do. Maggie Gyllenhaal doesn't get much to do. But you know, you can't have everybody. A rare, kind of objectified Tilda Swinton, which you don't get in movies. No. I love Tilda, dude. She's cute. Did you guys watch Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt? Yes. Yes. They have a really great bit about like a gay guy pretending to be straight, and he has a hot chick spray painted on <laughs> yeah. the back of yes. his truck, and it's Tilda Swinton. And I it's remember like, that. Hey, the... you're not wrong, but that's not like the straightest move. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's like Tilda. Fun. Fun. How fun was this to watch? Yeah. Out of ten. I mean, I'm biased. I I give it a ten because I love that it's about screenplays and writing and i love that it's metafictional so i i give it a 10 maybe that's not what everybody thinks is fun maybe some people like the big explosions in con air and the rock but this was very fun for me for me the fun parts are when i look at to meg and i say what the fuck is going on <laughs> like there was so much fun to be had watching uh uh protocol new orleans so i'm gonna give this a seven for fun it's not unfun but it's not like what I've been using as a gauge for fun in these. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm going to say, I didn't love the second half of the movie. I thought it like, I think it, uh, the, the whole, you know, hostage thing, like it felt very, I was very out of character with the rest of the movie. I understand why they did it. You know, like, I just think it wasn't handled as it wasn't as interesting as I thought it could she be. She wanted nothing to happen, nothing to be resolved. Just like real life. No, 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 no. I just, I just, uh, as scenes like that go, I didn't love those as much. So I'm going to give it a seven as well. But it's still, you know, we have a lot of really unfun movies. This is definitely in the 
upper middle of those. So, all right, technical, this is like uh, special effects, costuming, wigs, hairs, make hair, makeup, soundtrack. I am, I am like, I think uniquely unqualified <laughs> to talk about this. Like my aesthetic sense is pretty much garbage. Um, but six or seven, I don't know. Cause like the, the flashbacks to the dawn of time are extremely cheesy. Those are cool. I like those. I think those okay. are fun. You want to give it six or seven? I like seven. Give it a seven. seven. You could just say six or seven. What are we going to put I, down? I want it to win. I want it to win. I I liked all the stuff that they did with Donald and uh, I thought that was really well done. I never got taken out of it thinking, oh, uh, these are the same actor twice. I mean, even though it's not like they're doing any incredible things, but it wasn't bad. Uh, yeah, but the rest of it's not like, you know, amazing. I did. Also, they did all the stuff where um, you know, the gator effect was all right. Uh, I'm going to say uh, uh, six. Uh, I'm going to give it a seven, too. I like seven. Seven's good with me. Man, this, you know, we're not bad, seven. not crazy special. All right. Overall, how much did you like this movie? You don't need to do an average of your scores. Just go with your gut. Ten. Do it. This is going to be it. a high score. Holy shit. Also, we're... This, might be, this might be my second favorite movie. My favorite movie is Boogie Nights, but I think this is probably number two. This movie is, we're also in very strong agreement on almost all categories, which is great. Aside from fun. Aside from fun. Uh, my overall in this is going to be uh, an eight. I swear I'm not cheating off of you, Chris, but I'm also going to give it an eight. All right. It's a what solid movie. Oh, yeah. So bonus is plus or minus one point, one single point for anything you, you know, particularly liked or particularly disliked in this movie um you're gonna give it a minus one because of because of the ending um i'm actually I think, gonna give it a minus one for another reason okay i'm excited to hear why you're gonna give it a minus one i'm gonna give it a plus one to cancel out your minus one no um i'm gonna give it a plus one because of the metafiction of it all i love danny how competitive mean, this is very on brand for you how competitive you are about the score of this movie <laughs> He wants um, his to be number one. I'm going to give it a negative one for the gratuitous female nudity, which yeah. I felt like was, you know, it was of the time, but I didn't think the movie needed it. I'm going to give it Even a Even though, wait, or is it a commentary on the screenwriter who is just a horny, gross dude? I mean, I wanted to make that comment earlier, which is like for every time we see boobs, when we really didn't need to, we also see Charlie Kaufman being gross and jerking off, which is like, he's a mess. Like he's a mess and like, it's gross. And we're supposed to understand this is gross. It's, 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 uh, uh In the Brian Cox scene. I stick, what? Good butt on Brian Cox. Yeah, he's got a great butt. Oh yeah, yeah. Obviously. Uh, I, I I stick with it. I think that there's a way fair. to do that, and I, but I do think it is of it is of the era, and it doesn't surprise me. There's this was an era in which there was just a lot of boobs. Well, well, mm. well. Look who it comes down to. I think 126 is a top score. We might tie with. I don't know. Uh, I'm gonna give it a plus one because say hello to these Judy Greer boobs. That's why. <laughs> the opposite reasoning of Meg. So. All right. Let's see where we're at, Chris. Is it going to be <gasps> number one? Oh, my God. Holy oh, crap. my God. Wow. I didn't think it was going to happen. Wait, wow. we gotta look, I got to look at the data here. Um, oh, wow. Oh, God. Well, I don't know Moonstruck? how I feel about this. What's Moonstruck? 
No, movie? well, what score did Moonstruck get? Oh, man, can you see the scores on your end? How do I? What tab is the store, scores on? Uh, don't worry about it. I'll, I'll pull it up. Yeah, because if I pull it up, it looks weird on on the stream. So that makes sense. Yeah. Wow. Adaptation just took number one. I mean, you were throwing, you were dropping dimes like it was your job, Danny P. So. I mean, I think I need a little. Uh... Oh, yeah, that's pretty pretty big. Bing. We got. Uh, let's see. So uh, we had Moonstruck was one twenty four. Point oh five for some reason. I don't know how I got a point oh five on it. And uh, the the next one down was Mandy at 122. So this would have won regardless of my score because this was 125 before wow. I gave it the extra boost. So this one yeah. won outright. It won number one. And, I mean, and, hey. To be fair, like, let's talk about the fact that this was a heavily requested film for you. Oh, guys. yeah. Like, I wasn't the only one who wanted to do this movie. It, it's, people it's love this movie. I mean, multiple yeah. Academy Awards were won from this movie. So it's not a bad movie. It probably deserves to be up there, number one. So, yeah. And I would argue it is the best acted Nicolas Cage movie that we've seen. Yeah, so this makes sense. But now we uh, have to do the ultimate decision, which is the Cage Gage, the two-axis plot of Nick Cage's craziness versus his acting ability in a film. This one is probably going to break the mold. I have that feeling. So out of 10, what would you give his quintessential Nick Cage craziness in this film? Um, I would give it like a three. I think that the only like kind of crazy zany thing that happens is Donald doing that push, push in the bush line. I think Why would fair. you? A little push, push in the bush. I love how Danny is just on saying the line instead of like... I'm going to also have to give it a pretty low score. I'm going to actually, I am going to give this a one. I did wow. not feel. I disagree with you guys. Make your case. Make your case. My case. Well, I didn't mean to cut Chris off. We oh, want to give fine. you. you give, no, that's it. Yeah. I'm going to give it a five. I think that it's, it's a different type of crazy, but the neuroses are, you know, he's like sweating in the thing. He's like saying weird things to people. Like it's not yelling and it's, it's just, it's, it's a very uh it's 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 not a straight laced performance. It's a I I mean, I think that that's true and like it is kind of crazy, but it also all feels kind of naturalistic yeah. to me. It's true. Which which is what I was gauging as like sort of the opposite of crazy. Because like there's the part where he's talking to Tilda in the restaurant and he's like, you, you, you know, it's, the, the book isn't about that. Life isn't like that. It's just about flowers. And like there's the part where he's talking to Judy Greer and he's like very very like strange talking about like there are over a million different types of orchids or whatever he says there and it's like yeah that is kind of wild but like i see charlie kaufman i see a real person behaving yeah now. i i hear you and i think all three of our views on this are can have be uh backed up and but, i do want to point out we didn't mention this during the uh during the thing but there was one scene that chris and i had to fast forward through uh in the movie uh which was the scene where he asked judy greer out we're like, I can't watch this. It's too embarrassing. <laughs> it's so painful. And I want to point out that Danny score won this round uh, because the average turned out to be his exact score. So he wins. <laughs> Danny acting. Thank you, Chris. Danny Thank you, Chris. winning again. La, 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 la. What are you going to give the acting ability of Nick Cage in this film? Acting ability, I would give it. I would give it like, uh, I think an eight. You know, I think it's solid acting. I'm going to go ahead and drop a deuce. Uh, sorry, a... <laughs> a deuce. A, a dime. A dime? A dime on this bitch, because I wow. loved it. I This is the best acting I've seen on Nick Cage in any of the movies I've ever seen. I'm like, this I, this, this isn't a 10. If there's something better than this, 
I'll yeah. I'm waiting on oh, that because it's not. Oh, oh, all right. So 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 then you're saying that like a ten is the best Nick Cage can do. It, yeah. Whatever you want to score it by, just don't don't mess with your. Don't let me fuck your opinion yeah. up. I mean, I'm I'm still giving it an eight because I don't know if this is necessarily the best that Nick Cage can do. I think it's probably close to the best Nick Cage can do, if not the best. But I also just think that like. There are better actors if people are just going by like pure acting talent. Yeah. And so I think that he did a really good performance, but I think that Tom Hanks would have <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. I think that I think that like I think that like people have given better performances. I would have watched this movie with instead of them CGIing a twin, they just had John Travolta play the twin. So <laughs> oh my fucking god. <laughs> hey, I'm Donald. <laughs> All right. I, I wanna I'm gonna do a ten too. I've been scoring this as a relative to other nick cage movies so I, I i feel good in this assessment guys we are in a weird place and i love it we are in the less crazy good acting quadrant look at the picture you put for it chris you put i know i anticipated this, that this would get there because wow yeah it's it's uh it's what it's like his best acting so this is we haven't really gotten into this quadrant this is like if you look at all of them you just oh i have the titles too we just have Raising Arizona here, and then Jujitsu inexplicably. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised that Raising Arizona has Nick Cage on the less crazy side. I've only seen it once, but I remember that movie being zany. It's zany, but he's kind of the straight man. He's in character Weirdly. too. He's kind of like you know, he's not really. Yeah, there's a lot of zany characters, and he's not he's not really the most zany of them. And like this, nice. I think is the best, the best quadrant, the one you want to be in for Nick Cage. But at the same uh -huh. time, these are all good, except for Jujitsu, all really good movies up here. So, yeah, yeah. interesting stuff. We did it again. Well, we did it again, guys. We made it through an episode. Danny, question for you: What yeah. what kind of stuff do you want to promote to the world? What's going on? What can you uh, plug? Oh shucks. Okay. Um... I don't, uh, I don't know. That's kind of tough. I teach guitar lessons. If anybody wants to learn how to play guitar or ukulele, you can find me on Instagram or Twitter at Danny Bracaz. And like, I guess it feels weird. It feels weird to plug this. I have a short film that I produced Not weird. last summer. The reason why it's weird is it's like, hey, everybody, this thing exists. You can't watch it <laughs> because it's um, it, I've submitted it to a bunch of film festivals so maybe sometime later on this year, there will be opportunities to see it, but it's not on the internet anywhere. And everybody just give that movie good vibes. It's called Misled, and it's just a little short film that I'm hoping gets into some festivals. Nice. It's a I good film. So I've seen it. Meg's seen it. I've seen it. it as well. It's a good we little short. It. Hopefully it gets it. Starring I've, Danny Perkowski. Starring me. I've been getting some like feedback on it that has just sent me to the moon people have been telling me that it's not terrible <laughs> and that feels that feels like a thousand bucks <laughs> that's all we really want is just people to say you didn't fuck up right exactly people can tell me it's great and i write off their opinion immediately right but if they tell me that it didn't suck i'm like thank you oh my god <laughs> you can believe that it's like you don't want to believe that something you did is great but you like can believe when someone says like all right you didn't totally fail at this yeah and yeah. then 
if it does suck, you can just make the Snyder cut later on. Oh, I don't want to talk about that shit, man. <laughs> I'm not talking about the Snyder cut on this podcast. This is my fucking podcast. All right, we're taking it over. It's the Snyder cut podcast. Never mind. I don't. Nope. I I missed it, but I was gonna go. Oh Jesus! Nice. All right, we're at the end of the show, guys. We are taking a week off next week. We are on a new three-on-one-off schedule. And the reason for that is that we are tired. We've been doing this for a long fucking time. And we need to take a week off every now and then from watching Nicolas Cage, who isn't doing a podcast. So, I mean, our, we, we said to ourselves, What do you say we cut the chit-chat a-hole? And now we have right. cut it down to three times a month instead of four. I will say the last time we took a week off, we were like, we were like, uh, like, what do we do this week? Like, we're like, we don't, we have this like extra, like six hours of our life that we don't spend watching a Nicolas Cage movie and talking about it. So that was, that was weird. And uh, so this Chris week also gonna... we're off from virtual improv. It's going to be a rerun this week too. So mm-hmm. it's going to be a nice, calm, chill week. Nice chill weekend for us. And for you guys, we'll do some reruns. So, uh, come back on Sunday. We will probably remember to do the rerun this time, but who knows? Could so. could be anything. Anything could happen. Uh, but then back after that, April 11th, we are going to be watching the movie Bangkok Dangerous, which I know nothing about other than I think maybe he's a hitman. And we have uh, Kenny Gray is going to be our guest, our improviser friend from Boston. And that's it, guys. Any closing, closing thoughts? Oh, uh, I have uh, a closing thought. Is it a fart? Uh, God damn it. I'm looking for the quote I have from the movie. Uh, never mind. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna take us out to Bruce Springsteen. Bye, guys. Have a good night. Unlocking the Cage is produced by the Manager Special. Music by Will Janetta. Check out our other shows as well as sketches animation and short films at managerscomedy.com.